as we approach the feast of ascension where Jesus goes back to his father and the feast of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles. The church in her wisdom is reiterating the basic tenet of Jesus' teaching at the Last Supper. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is a new commandment in the sense that it is a love that is punctuated by the action of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just any love, but love that has no personal gain and benefit. It's the love for the other for the sake of the benefits of the other. It is love that has no limit. It is love that is non-selective and non-discriminatory. Jesus loved all that had been given to him. He loved his own till the end, even including his perceived betrayer. Washing the feet of Judas Iscariot and eating from the same bowl, showing love and trust even when the other was thinking otherwise about the Lord. But then he says, this is why, how people will come to know that we are his disciples. Beloved, we are disciples. We are followers of Christ. But how many of us would pass the test that Christ himself lays down for deciding who are his true disciples? The word charity, unfortunately, has come to have a very restricted and limited meaning in our present-day vocabulary. It signifies giving an alms, giving a gift of money to a needy person. This is but a very small part of the true charity, true love of neighbor, which Christ made the distinguishing mark of the true Christian. He who truly loves his neighbor must be interested first and foremost in those things which concern that neighbor's most important purpose in life, his or her eternal salvation. Here is where so many good Christians fail in true charity, showing effective interest in missionary activity is a case in point here. It is therefore not surprising to hear in the first reading how St. Paul and his companions dedicated themselves to the mission of Christ, bringing salvation to others. Our first reading is regarded as the first missionary journey of St. Paul. Traditionally, we have three missionary journeys, and the first one is the shortest of the three, which lasted probably about two and a half years. During it, apart from the sea journey, 
Paul traveled on foot about 600 miles over mountainous and difficult terrain. He had to earn his bread by the work of his hands. He suffered hunger. He suffered cold and was once stoned by the Jews and left to die. Compared with his other journeys, this was relatively easy. But when we think about it, and think about the love of God and of his fellow men, which inspired St. Paul to endure such hardships. Can we fail to wonder and be shocked at the coldness of our own love of God and the most total lack of interest in the eternal welfare of our neighbor, which we perhaps show today? There are Christians and there are even Catholics who begrudge the one hour they have to give to God on Sunday morning. And in fact, if you go to Mass only on Sundays, it means you will have 167 hours of each week that you can give to your worldly care, which nonetheless you will have to live forever in a few years' time. There are Catholics who grumble when they are asked to give a portion of their weekly earnings to help support their church and their pastors. There are good, devout Christians and even Catholics who give no help whatsoever in spreading the faith among the pagan peoples as St. Paul and his companions did. Do such Christians really love God and appreciate what he has done for them? Have they really got their eternal salvation at heart if they are so unwilling to put themselves out the least little bit for his sake? Dearly beloved, we cannot gamble our eternal life and the eternal life of those we love for the trinkets of the world today. Today's second reading is an interesting reading presenting a vision that John saw in the book of Revelation regarding a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with his people and where he will wipe the tears from their eyes. Where the Lord proclaims, I will make all things new. St. John tells us, enough to make us anxious to go to heaven. We shall be in the presence of God. All earthly things will have passed away. Our abode, which is God's abode, will be a new creation. We shall live eternally there, free from all cares, free from all pain, free from all anxiety, and free from everything which makes our earthly life difficult. Dearly beloved, I have God's word for it, that there is such a future place in store for me. 
I have the added proof that the Son of God came on earth, that he suffered, that he died, and rose from the dead in order that I could get to heaven. What I shall be like in heaven is the least of my worries. The only worry I should really have now is, am I on the right road to heaven? Will I surely make it? But I also know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life will be my GPS on this journey. That even if I make the wrong turn, even if I make the wrong exit, the Lord will surely reroute me. He will recalculate my path and send me on the path that will lead me to eternal life, not the path that leads me to destruction. Except when I fail to listen to the voice of the Lord, my GPS. Dearly beloved, if I am on the right road, if I am open to the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the other question will be solved for me when God calls me to come to him. Dearly beloved, you might say it, but Father, I am not St. Paul. St. Paul was more endowed than me. I understand that. Granted, we are all not called to be other St. Pauls, nor do we get the abundance of divine grace he got. We are, however, all called to be saints, if lesser saints may be. And we all have got many graces from God. Each and every one of us is a potential saint in the making. We are children of God and we do not belong anywhere except our Father's home. Jesus prepares that home for us. That is where you and I belong. That is where you and I are going. Unless we turn ourselves to become true and children of God and we listen to other deceptive voices, the devil comes to deceive, to destroy, to kill. But Jesus came so that you and I will have life and have life to the full. And so, dearly beloved, you are a potential citizen and therefore God gives you the grace that will guide and lead you to the journey. God does expect us too to show some return for his many gifts and to prove our love for him by our love for our neighbor. Love of God and love of a neighbor are the two greatest commandments. They are in fact our tickets to heaven. If we haven't got these tickets yet, or if we are not purchasing them in daily installment by our charitable acts, we had better begin today. It is never too late. Millions of the saved in heaven today are thanking God for St. Paul's love of God and neighbor. I shall be happy if even a few of my fellow men will have reason to thank God that I exist. If you look into your lives, if you look at your friends and your neighbors, 
If you look at people you encounter, those at your workplace, your co-workers, are they giving thanks to God for your existence? Is your life becoming a life for them, a light of sacrifice and love for them, a life that really is concerned about their eternal salvation? Probably we are not even worried about our salvation. How will we be motivated to be concerned about the salvation of the other? If we really love them as Jesus says, then truly we should be very much concerned about their salvation. Helping others go to heaven is what is requested of every true disciple of Jesus because that is the best way to show our love for them. And here is where so many Christians fall in true charity, as I said earlier on. The practical help in parochial matters, taking part in the various societies and associations and organizations which are intended to build up and strengthen the faith and the devotion of the members of the parish is an obligation of true charity for each one of us. So many seem to think it is no concern of this, but it is. Advising and encouraging with true Christian kindness, not policing and becoming nosy about other people and their business. That is not what I'm talking about. It is not about trying to belittle other people, making them feel that they are insignificant and useless because we are so proud in our Christianity and spirituality, presenting ourselves always in a holier-than-thou fashion. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is advising and encouraging people with true Christian kindness. Advising a neighbor who is beginning to grow lax in his or her attendance to his or her Christian duties, or who is forming habits or alliances which, if unchecked, would bring misery and suffering to his or her family and scandal to the neighborhood, and even the possibility of his own eternal destruction. If we are able to do that, we are exercising real, true charity. There are thousands of broken homes today which would not be broken if there were, was true charity in those homes, not only in the heart of the offender, but in the hearts of the offended. There are thousands in jails and in hospitals of rehabilitation today who would not be there if their families and neighbors fulfill their obligation of Christian charity. There are many, far too many lapsed Catholics in the world today who would not have lapsed had true charity been practiced by their relatives and neighbors. And last but not the least, there are millions of people who have remained outside the Church of Christ because the hallmark of Christian charity is lacking. Or probably that charity which Christ is talking about is not the distinguished mark 
or even if it is there, is tarnished or even invisible. There are people who get angry immediately after mass, having experienced the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they go to the parking lot, and somebody casts in front of them, they are so furious and cursing, and saying all kinds of things. There are people who even will frown their faces and with anger and disgust when they see that somebody is sitting at a place that usually have allotted to themselves. Not the church allotting it to them, but they have allotted those places to themselves and they would not want to see anybody sitting there. Even the day that they not attend mass, they want that seat to be empty. Is that the charity Jesus is talking about? So these things have directly or indirectly have kept people outside the domain and the compound of the church of Christ. Each one of us could, with great profit, spend a few moments today looking into ourselves and comparing our thoughts and our words and our actions with the thoughts, words and actions of love which Christ expects from his followers. Beloved, it is never too late to mend. Begin today to make a true Christian interest in the spiritual faith of your family, the spiritual faith of your neighbors, the spiritual faith of your friends, the spiritual faith of your co-workers. Where words have failed, perhaps try prayer and example. Your life could be the only gospel somebody might ever read. And if people do not find the love of Christ in you, probably they might not have that love anywhere. The grace of God will cooperate with our sincere and charitable effort. Amen.